gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, the review segment for Friday, December 4th, 2015. It's episode 98, by the way. All four of us are here for the review. Check off Dave Saw the Movie on your bingo card. Hey. Because we all saw Carol. Hey. It would be crazy if we hadn't all seen Carol. Tis the that, season uh, for Carol. Uh, one of us One of us is a big <laughs> fan of Carol. I can't re- Patches, is it you who's a big fan of Carol? Hmm. Yes, it's me. Okay, yeah. I've been Carol saying, you know. Danvers, Captain Marvel. <laughs> that would be me. Oh yeah. Okay. So everyone. This has already gotten off Christmas carols, the worst right? Possible start. Okay. Oh yeah. So Patch's favorite carol is a Christmas carol. Hark the herald, mm-hmm. Carol angels sing. All I wanted to do was get through the Carol review without invoking Marvel somehow, and we made it about thirty seconds. <laughs> oh, so we're reviewing Carol because all of us saw it, and because David Ehrlich, as you might have heard, is a big fan of it, and uh, I don't know, it's a really good movie. So I think we're all fans of it. Um, but mm. really, I kind of want to talk less. I, I honestly have been saving an in-depth conversation about Carol with David because I've been waiting for this review to kind of hear about it properly. Um, so, David, do you want to do you want to set up Carol and get us started? I have nothing to say about this film. <laughs> um, well, it's actually it's it's funny because I have lived with it so vividly in my own head without. I've written a number of interview pieces about it, but not any sort of critical writing. And I feel like my thoughts have become so uh, mutated in my in my brain. I don't even know if I recognize them anymore, but I, I understand their general tone. Anyway, Carol, by way of uh, – for context, is uh, a new Todd Haynes film. It is adapted by Phyllis Nagy from the Patricia Highsmith story from the 1950s, uh, the novel that was originally called The Price of Salt um, – and was later. But now it's called Carol, Carol a major right, motion which, picture in exactly, theaters which, now. Which she published, uh, which she published under pseudonym because it is a lesbian love story. And at the time, that was quite shocking, um, especially a lesbian love story in which no one. Uh, well, well, well okay, let's fine. not go there. Well, there. This is a notable historical there, fact. Yes, but. there are a few reasons why this particular story resonated so strongly. It was such a huge commercial success at the time, uh, but I'm really glad I didn't know what they were before I saw the movie. So okay, fair uh, I, I will say, uh, say no more on that subject. But uh, it was, just as a side note, a quasi-autobiographical story, and uh, I encourage you to dive into the hows and whys of that after you see the movie, but it is it is about a shop girl uh, starring uh, a shop girl named Therese Belvid, who's played by Rooney Mara in the movie, who works at a department store in Manhattan around Christmas of 1950, I believe, maybe 52, I always, I think it was published in, anyway, um, and she uh, one day sees a woman, a socialite from New Jersey, who comes from a slightly higher socioeconomic strata uh, named Carol Aird, and they see each other across a crowded department store room, and there's an instant spark, uh, and what blossoms from there is a, uh, a flirtation and a romance for which they have no words and for which few words are used. They, there was not a word, a uh, proper word, to describe the infatuation and the feelings that these two women had for one another at the time. Uh, and if one were to use a word to describe it, it would be more aligned with hysteria or lunacy or, you know, uh, something that was more of a psychological variety rather than homosexual. Um, and so it is this very restrained, 
longing, uh, drawn-out romance between them, lots of furtive glances and gestures, profoundly important. And uh, and Carol is married, and uh, her marriage is, is all but done to Kyle Chandler, who's Harge aired. Uh, and they have a oh, daughter. Oh, Hodge. Oh, yes. Hodge. They have a daughter who uh, Carol cares about very much. And Therese is a boyfriend, played by Jake Lacey, and there may not be much of a future in their relationship. That's hardly a spoiler. Uh, but it's uh, starting to seem as though they may want different things uh, and not be on quite the same wavelength. But really, this is just a story about these two women who uh, feel very strongly for one another and and are completely locked in their own heads about it and, and find it uh, impossible to fathom that the other might uh, harbor the same feelings, but also can't it seems self-evident that they do uh and there's a line in the novel that i always come back to when thinking about it uh about you know how someone could be so afraid and yet so in love at the same time and i think so much of the energy about this movie is really about finding that balance between uh the the fear and the uh warmer sort of uh, rosy-cheeked intimacy of, of being in love uh and how the two really can't they're inextricable. They can't exist without one another. I think uh, one of the reasons I love this movie, and before I pass the baton here, because I'm sure I'll plenty to say later, is that I don't know if I've ever seen a film that I think so palpably captures what it feels like to, and simulates really, the what it feels like to fall in love with somebody, the, pro- the process involved in that. Um, the roller coaster of emotions that are involved, the egocentrism, the... Uh, the infatuation, the neurosis, the uh, it, it's all there and laid out in vivid detail that's still – it's crystal clear and yet still leaves so much to the imagination. So many interpretations are possible. Um, it, it's, it's really interpretations miraculous of in that what? sense. In, under, in just sort of A, in, you know, interpreting to your own schema of experience and, and finding your own meaning for the character. But really, it, it's I've seen it four times now, and, and every scene, in, in some scenes, it's very clear what the characters are thinking. Um, and in others, the, the, the they're just the simplest and, and most trite way of saying it is that there are so many layers to both of these women um, that when you put them next to one another, square them off in the same room, they sort of compound these layers and it just becomes this sort of infinity of human emotion, which I think is uh, also a big part of falling in love. But um, I, I will just say the, the, this movie uses a framing device similar to the one in Brief Encounter and uh, the way that it sets up this romance, the way it pays it off, it's just uh, heart-stopping in a way that, it connected for me at least in a way that, that almost no other movie I've ever seen has. Um, and uh, yeah, I, it's very special to me. Wow. Wait, which one of us wants to follow up? Uh, Carol, it's David just okay. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, well, Patches, you and I saw Carol together. We did. This was a while ago now, and I haven't. I think it wasn't actually September. that like long ago. ago. It just it feels like a long time ago. Um, but I, I, I remember feeling colder toward this movie than I wanted to, and especially hearing David talk about how powerfully it reminds him of falling in love. I do want to kind of watch it again and see if I can find in it what he does because I thought it's beautiful and well acted and interesting and it's taking this really complicated relationship like you said David and getting at it from all these different angles which I find super interesting but I think particularly with uh, Rooney Mara's Therese as our entry point into this romance like she's kind of the audience surrogate she's as astonished by Kate Blanchett as we would be if she walked up to us at a 
counter in a department store. Yes. I found her kind of remote. It, it, she was harder to access. Her motivations were less understandable for me. She does a lot of not talking, even in situations where a person should say something. And I th- that's part of her personality, but also made her tough for me. As an injury. Can you, not as a not as a means of pushing you or testing you, just of my own curiosity, and mm-hmm. maybe by way of giving people a deeper insight into the plot, can you think of one of those moments? Well, there are, so there's a couple of scenes with her and uh, this boyfriend played by Jake Lacey, who I really like. He's, he was great in Obvious Child. I think he's really great in this, too. Um, where he just asks her kind of a series of direct questions and she kind of just walks away from him. And it's kind of like something you would do in a melodrama or something you would do in Brief Encounter or a soap opera or something like that. But this movie is really real. I think that's one of its powers is it's not set in this kind of idealized 50s, like Far From Heaven, another Todd Haynes movie. It's set kind of in a real kind of grimy Mm. New York City. And Therese operates in the world in a way that doesn't feel like a real person to me. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't think it's necessarily set in complete realistic New York. It feels much dreamier than that. It feels like uh, uh, a big serving of these unspoken moments to me. Uh, You you know, know, a whole movie of sideways glances and such. You know how Kate Blanchett's character, and you can see this in this great clip that won't spoil anything that's online where she's having lunch with uh, Rudy Mara's character is at once both there's this duality that Kate Blanchett does so well, where she's at once this sort of iconic screen presence with this golden age of Hollywood glow about her. It seems sort of unfathomable that there might be a real human under all of that, elegance. Uh, but at the same time, we are also privy to her vulnerability and her anxiety and how uh, I, and there's something very raw about that. I think that the movie, the world that it exists in, is in that middle ground, in that limbo between that sort of uh, uh, you know perfection of, of that Hollywood uh, that stylized ideal uh, and this very real and emotionally vulnerable place. I think that scene really captures the the whole tenor of the film well yeah, it's it's like a lucid dream almost it's 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 mm. almost like imagining yourself in a Hollywood movie more than it is emulating one or living a real life um, because love can feel like you're, you're the spotlight is on you for a second the lights dim uh, and doesn't matter where you are you're in another dimension when you you stare into Kate Blanchett's eyes I so definitely does that felt mean that. you feel more inside this romance than I do well no I actually kind of agree more <laughs> More with you. I think this movie does uh, try, you know, aim to capture this feeling of love, and it does it quite well. But it doesn't feel like it's it's digging deep enough into the experience of love for me for it to be anything more than just this kind of like dreamy, beautiful, simple love story. You know, as I was listening to David describe it again, I thought about uh, the movie Weekend, which is a movie I, I treasure. I love that movie and about a relationship that forms very quickly. And it's, you know, at times they're raw nerves exposed to each other's feelings. And then at other times it's just about like hugging it out on the couch or like snorting cocaine together and just enjoying life. Um, and here in, in Carol, you know, it never quite penetrates that I never really get to see – and I, I think Kate Blanchett is fantastic and, and Runa Mare is, is quite good. Um, but she has this kind of accelerated path in a way. When she, she does start talking, she starts snapping at Jake Lacey at certain points in this movie. She's going to pack up and leave and all of these things kind of – they happen – rather quickly in terms of uh, the movie's pacing and and just what I believe 
this romance is how it's blossoming. It doesn't quite function in that way, and and it's part of the dream aspect of it for me. Uh, um, but it does. Well, you can eh at me all you want. Well, I'm I, just, I think it's I more about the queer. <laughs> I mean, I listen. I'm 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 a straight man in 2015, so I can only project what I am given from the story and and what I got from reading the novel, which shouldn't really be, uh, you know. Uh, admissible here, but no, I, I, I think that the pace at which the romance unfolds has a lot to do with the queer element of it, which is that these are two women who understand at a again at a level that they can't articulate how they feel about one another. Um, Carol has a bit of a history with this sort of thing. It's a bold new world for Therese. And they and the details are so rich. The way that Carol very slyly picks her up is just the greatest. But anyway, um, and I think that once they realize that mutual attraction and the fact that they can sort of confide that one another, even if they have to dance around it, uh, I think that there is this sort of centrifugal force to their, their romance that picks up from there that I think – uh, like many forbidden romances, like Romeo and Juliet in a way, um, if not quite so tragic, develops at a speed unlike that of something that has the luxury of a feeling out process. Maybe, but I could, I could feel – I guess I didn't feel the swell of it. You know, I'm, I'm not bringing outside context, you know, the queer experience. If that somehow informs this more, that is not something I bring to the movie. I'm only – you know, plucking from from the dramatics inside what Todd Haynes has kind of built here, uh, and I didn't feel the like ebb and flow, the swells of emotion as much. It all just feels, you know, uh, very. I, I keep going back to dreamlike, but it's it's very soft and and warm. You know, it, it has been knocked by a few people. I think um, the Hollywood Reporter wrote this big takedown. These two gay men were just like, this is. Horrible! It's so chilly and isolating. I don't feel that way about it, but I don't feel like it ever really, uh, you know, separates the red sea of emotion and just like exposes one thing for even one second. Uh, it's hmm. just very, it's very comfortable. It's a, it's a lovely movie. I, I must say, I enjoyed watching. It. <laughs> I, but now, but now I want to hear Dave want, drop the hammer. Yeah, I, really <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I have a, I, I had a, an active viewing experience with this movie, which is nice because that only happens with movies that I consider good. But the times that I did get frustrated is I wanted to have the experience that David described having with the actual narrative and the characters. David, you really ruined this movie for all of us. We had high expectations. No, I'm well, just Well, I mean, the, the, that he described earlier on this podcast. Now, he didn't describe anything to me before I saw it. Like, I wanted to... Uh, be be part of this romance and you know when I saw that was the direction that the movie was going I thought it was really sweet and it shot in a way that just like it's uh, Rooney Mara isn't made to be shot a whole bunch of different ways or maybe she is but this is like the way her like skin pulls from all the surroundings Ed Lockman's cinematography they shot this in 16mm it's like just absolutely insane it makes the Revenant look like the fucking yeah, it's, it's it, well, it, go for it. I'm not going to finish that sentence. <laughs> it, it, uh, it, it is, looks uh, the Revenant looks beautiful, but no. Yeah, it looks uh, amazing. And the first yeah. scene in the toy store, I'm like, I'm ready to like watch, watch and fall in love along with these people. But then yeah. as the movie progressed, it very artfully kept me at a distance with the same sort of uh, tricks of framing or the moments it chooses to show in the relationship, where I didn't really have any 
pacing problems with it per se, but it wasn't choosing the moments and it wasn't choosing the way to present them to me that was making me an active part of it, which I think is maybe what Katie was picking up on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that I didn't like Rooney Mara's performance. It's that I feel like we were at the edges of See, um, something. I think this, this is a matter of, of taste in a way. I don't know a better word for it. Because all all things are. Oh yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, like a movie like Lost in Translation, which is another romantic film that I respond to very, very strongly. Uh, I think it has a lot in common with this, where we're really getting—we're um, not on the outside, I would say, but we are—we're uh, given a, a series of, of gestures and intimations, and we are sort of left to do a lot of the heavy lifting, and, and it's like we are in one person's head or another. Um, it's not the sort of objective point of view that we get in a lot of romantic comedies. It's something like uh, um, we're always seeing through the eyes of the more vulnerable party who is more at risk, and, and it's so much of it is through... Uh, a hand on the shoulder would be a more obvious example, but, you know, um, just, just little glances in, in I think, uh, I think fleeting lines of dialogue. Mm, we see it. We were filling in a, a painting, you know, I think through that's totally, its, uh, totally valid. And yeah. um, the more I think about it right now, you know, it's kind of – it's a very strange movie in terms of the script. Um, not – you know, I kind of knocked the pacing a little earlier. But I'm now thinking about how, you know, in the beginning it seems like this is, this is Rooney Mara's movie. And Kate Blanchett steps into her life and we're kind of – experiencing this all through her and then it kind of morphs into a two-hander because we get a lot of just scenes with Kate Blanchett and Kyle Chandler or Kate Blanchett you know kind of existing in her own world and that Sarah kind Paulson. of that said yeah with Sarah Paulson uh her her friend Abby or uh, I guess they were former lovers yeah. they uh, were former lovers yes uh it's just a weird kind of transition to that like David, I think what you're describing may have connected with me more if we had been with Rooney Mara, if we had felt this eruption of emotions, if these gest- if every gesture kind of hit her in, in, a, in a certain but way. But it can. Uh, it uh, can because it's the uh, story of awakening. It's the story of a woman sort of realizing her own self and, and going on so that why, journey. Why can't, it, she why can't it be Rooney Mara's movie? Because the whole movie builds to this – I mean the book is all from Therese's point of view. I mean I, that's how I the, read it. It, the story started. I mean I'm just saying you know, just, just – Give credence to what you're saying. This is how the story was originally conceived. It was from Teresa's point of view, and and we were locked in her head, and Carol was this external thing, and we were always left to to guess at what was going on uh, in her head. Mm-hmm. And I think for uh, the cinema, I think Phyllis Naj, the masterstroke of this movie is that she um, so brilliantly yeah. finds a way to what? What's up? Oh, you got cut off for a second. Oh. I think the, the masterstroke of this movie is that Phyllis Nage finds a way to hand the baton from one character to another so seamlessly. And then I, I don't want to spoil what happens, but there, she brings the two together uh, in a way that allows Therese to sort of self-actualize and, and, and or at least self-awaken. Sure. Uh, I, I don't think it's as fluid as you're arguing, but I, I, do, I do. I understand what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, I think it's all it's all there, but at moments where I wanted to be seeing parts of the relationship, it would often be like there's a like a repetitive sort of visual theme of there being like smoke or reflected clouds or reflected sky that's sort of semi obscuring people's faces. See through glass. See through glass. 
um, uh, or you know, sometimes from like you're in your two rooms away from whatever you're supposed to be watching, which is all very artful and pretty, and it but it makes the movie and parts of it like a presentation, which was hard for me to like fully emotionally invest in. What do you mean by that? Especially because it's so subtle. What do you What do you mean a presentation? Um, it's um, I don't know if it's is seen through glass, right? Like that, it's kind of a something that's being observed rather than it's because Therese's care. I mean, you're having the same experience in that sense, and it sounds like you're not appreciating it that Therese is supposed to have, which is that she's sort of both within and without this experience. No, right. like and David, that's something that makes me really want to see this movie again. Is kind of I think you go into this knowing it's a romance, and you kind of expect to be told a romance in a certain way, and expect to be kind of caught up in those emotions. But what do you mean? I do what I say, expect? Hang on, hang on. Hang on. <laughs> I do think what I want to go back and do is try to see it as Therese in beginning as being completely unawoken, as you were saying, and go through that awakening process. I think knowing the language of this movie and how it's presenting it would make a second viewing of this a lot more satisfying just because you mm. kind of get the language of speaking. I mean, yeah, I don't want to say that I didn't like the movie. I really, really liked the movie. It's just I didn't, I didn't experience the love story from like a first person perspective. I wasn't like empathizing. I was like, hot damn, these are some great performances and plotting and everything's coming together. Then there were just subtle moments where I'd be reminded of that. And uh, I don't know, I, that was part of my active viewing experience, but it was totally sweet while it was going on. See, I, I think I'm glad you guys are hitting on the points you're hitting on, because as I was saying earlier, I do think that this matter of perspective, which was this very bold, aggressive choice made on the part of, of the screenwriter um, that deviates from the source material, uh, is what makes the movie so effective for me. I love the scenes that they created for Carol, and, and even if I did, that wouldn't be enough, because they still have to be brought together. Uh, right, that's how, which is how I felt. But, I love the scenes with Kate Blanchett and Kyle Chandler. Uh, they just don't connect to the rest of the movie or the movie that it sets out to make in the beginning. No one needs to explain more Kyle Chandler to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's one of those things, you know, it's a, it's a movie of few or at least carefully chosen words. And it's the kind of thing where, like, by the second time you see it, you know – the dialogue is so rich and so dense. You know, every line is like every line is sort of instantly uh, iconic in its way. But um, I, I happen to think that, I don't feel this way at all. Well, you've seen it once. Uh, but um, I, I think that so much of this whole idea of telling it partially from Carol's perspective or allowing her to sort of hijack the, the narrative for a little while hinges on this framing device that they use um, and how you see one scene from one perspective when the film begins and the same scene from an entirely, you know, 180 degree, entirely different perspective when we revisit it. And the, you know, pivot in emotion is, is very jarring and incredibly effective for me. And uh, I think that really it seals the... Uh, the sort of pers- handoff and perspectives. The uh, the precision of that scene and the way that it's repeated later in the movie, and I, you know, I think about you know, the opening shot of this movie, you're kind of following a man walking into this restaurant, and you're expecting it to be his story, and then it kind of turns into something else. But I go, I'll go back and think about that, even when I kind of can't remember about connecting to it. Like, I can't rem- like think of something that like, I'm really dying to go back and see. I think about that, I'm like, God, this is like a clockwork thing. Like, this is so precisely made, and all Todd, Todd Haynes' movies are made that way. That I am, I'm reminded of the craft that goes into it, and kind of it, admiring of it, even if I hope to love it more. 
or and who knows, maybe I, you know, a second viewing has solved a lot of things for me. It's interesting to know. feel like you hope you hope to love it. I, that's an interesting I think that feeling. A lot of times, like I think it's mm. like so much about this movie works for me in so many different ways that when you kind of come away for it with more admiration than love, it's like I feel like you're feeling Carol guilt. Well, I, I went into it feeling, you know, I, I was not going into it as a big cheerleader of this movie. I, I, res- I felt the same way about all of Todd Haynes' previous films mm. that it sounds like some of you did about this one, which is that uh, I admired them all and, and him, uh, but was often more conceptually than, than yeah. anything else. Um, certainly in the case of I'm Not There. Which, I mean, I love the Cape Blanchett stuff and that as well, but a lot of the movie, I, I think it's a brilliant idea, but the execution leaves me cold. Far From Heaven I enjoy, but didn't really you know, send me over the moon, um, although I appreciated its sort of uh, commentary on Douglas Sirk and, and everything that stemmed from that, et cetera, et cetera. Safe, which is largely considered to be one of the masterpieces of the 1990s, is a movie that I really struggle to get into. Uh, and so I sat down for this not really having much of an expectation other than to uh, you know appreciate its craft and shout out to Carter Burwell's score for this movie, which is at times a riff on Philip Glass and others, um, its own invention and, and is altogether maybe the best work of his career. Uh, I, yeah, I just, I think that like, I just, from the, from the first scene, from seeing the weight and the resonance of every motion and, and the things that you can tell they're aching to say to one another that can't. And again, this is a personal thing for me where like that is my uh, weak spot movies where people want to tell each other things, but, but can't. Oh, okay. um, and so uh, like that I, it, it's catnip for me. And um, I don't deny that. I mean, when people tell me that they didn't swoon for this movie, I, I have a hard time holding it against them necessarily. But uh, um I I was just on its wavelength from the very beginning, and uh, I, I can't, the last, you know, the last 10 minutes of this movie were just like a religious, a religious experience for me, uh, and yeah, I, uh, I, I really love it. So, uh, Patches and Dave, do you guys not see, do you guys care as much as I do about revisiting this and kind of trying to find its wavelength because so many people I respect love it so much. It did just win the New York Film Critics Circle Awards for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Screenplay. I don't usually feel that (laughs) And Best Cinematography. um, The way that you're describing because, uh, you know, with the outpouring of love for the movie, I mean, I certainly enjoyed this movie quite a bit, but um, I want to be taken on the ride the the first time and I feel like I I understood, I understood the the visual metaphor and, and a lot of these relationships. Like I, it's not like I didn't get it. I didn't walk out of the movie being like, I need to see that again. There there must be so much going on that my brain is just spinning. I, I, first time viewing was, was, was good for me. Um, so no, I don't, I don't feel the need to necessarily Mm. go back, um, because I've been really emotionally attached to other movies the first time around. So no. Dave, what about you? Uh, I will revisit it, but I don't know when because I can't imagine revisiting it alone. Oh, no. um, uh, it just seems like uh, an experience that I'd much rather have with somebody who's at least having it that first time. Mm. Otherwise, like if the experience that I had, like connecting it with it as a movie, I'm afraid I would. I'm so close. Like I'm too close to seeing it the first time that now I just spend a lot of time picking it apart and that's not going to do anybody any help. But when it comes back around, definitely. Don't you think it's really weird when Carrie Brownstein shows up in this movie? Well, she... 
it, I, I'll say this I'll, again. We're waiting the to territory that I'd, I'd rather let people do for themselves. Uh, I mean, the fact that she's in the movie is not a secret. Oh, okay. But I think that the role that she plays, yeah, she was in. A, she was in a few scenes that were cut. Oh, um, that's I can. T- you can read them in the. If you're curious, after you've seen the movie, you can uh, read the script on the Weinstein Company's wow. website, and you can see what scenes she were in that cut. I think that the cuts were all intelligently done, and I think that the brevity of her role uh, allows for you to imagine a certain possibility that, and seriously consider that the movie might end one way rather than another. Uh, and so I really true. like the effect that it has. When she shows up, you're like, oh, so we're going to be following her for a while. Yeah. And kind of when she disappears, you kind of, you do see that road. It, it uses her familiarity to its advantage. I think it's, it's very cognizant of that. Um, and so I, I was thrown by it at first, but only in a pleasant way. Yeah. I, Man, I, I was still more thrown by it than that. But uh, I like your argument about it being a road not taken. Um, I just keep thinking about my example of the master, which I saw the first time and kind of was baffled by and then saw a second hmm. time and really fell for. So I kind of, there are movies where I want to open myself up to that possibility and this feels like possibly one of them, but I uh, owe a second visit at some point. I think, I think the nice, I mean, the difference for me between the master and this, I could see they're both, they both have that same kind of dreamlike quality, but... This one I did identify with. We, I think we all, four of us, know the feeling of love, thankfully. And um, that was easy to... And apparently you don't. This is more pleasant than no Master by far in your life. Sorry, Dave, what'd you say? This is more pleasant than The Master by far. Oh, yeah. That was a yes. headache. Like, An enjoyable yeah. headache. Yeah, it was a good one. But like this one, yeah, just nice. It, at the very least, nice. And at the very most, David Ehrlich. You can walk inside. A little cutie, take your hat and you can thank a ma'am. Every time you make the scene, you find the joint is jammed. What was this week's lightning round question? Yes, it was in honor of Krampus, the scary Krampus. the scary Christmas movie featuring evil Santa Claus. Um, what is your... I didn't really look up the question before reading what it. the scariest scene from a holiday movie? Okay, you read it. Scariest moment, holiday movie. Yes, that's very PC of us. Uh, David, do you abstain? Yeah. Oh, you're not even going to read someone else's no. answer and Bye. dignify the holiday? <laughs> <laughs> This heathen holiday. Didn't we do an uh, episode where you talked about Christmas movies? I feel like you're yeah, no, been I, on I the love, record. I love Christmas more than anyone else I know. <laughs> um, but I, I am. I've recently become uh, a little bit bitter about the fact that there are literally only two movies ever made about Hanukkah. There are more Melissa Joan Hart Christmas movies than there are. All Hanukkah yeah, movies. Yeah, but pe- people who celebrate Hanukkah are always like, we don't want movies about Hanukkah because Hanukkah is not important. Hanukkah, but I think that a lot of it, I agree with that, and I think that uh, I, I love Christmas, but I love Christmas in part because of my affection with Christmas movies. I think, like, you know, people experience it a lot more important uh, ways, you know, certainly more marginalized uh you know, groups of, of Americans. Uh, representation is very important to understanding sort of our 
place in the world for legitimizing these things. And I'm starting to think that the lack of Hanukkah movies is uh, probably a big reason why. You know, uh, you got, I feel like yeah. maybe Transparent is now now the burden falls to them to do a Hanukkah episode at least. Perhaps. Anyway, I, I was a big fan of The Night Before in part because it was the what the movie is really about, I'll tell you, is uh, how insane it feels to be a Jew on Christmas. It feels like you were on every drug in the world and everyone around you has lost their goddamn minds and you love it. Uh, but you have a lot more fun than Seth Rogen does. But uh, um, anyway, you'll always no have the, the you'll, you'll always have the Rugrats Hanukkah special. Not a movie. It felt like a movie. Um, it felt like a movie when I was a kid. The Maccabees. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a great story. All right, David, what's your pick? <laughs> yeah, so let's see here. I'll, I'll go with Dan Riley, Dan Riley 11, who says Christmas future segment from Scrooged. I, I, I recite Scrooged because, which is like a dark and fucked up movie altogether, because uh, by reuniting with oh. its. Creator Mitch Glazer for Bill Murray's Christmas special, yes. which comes out on Netflix. Have you on seen the it? 4th. I have seen it. And Do you uh, love it? I yeah, it's really fun. It's so um, not what I was well, I mean, I should have been expecting it because it's Sophia Coppola and Bill Murray, but yeah. I showed my parents over Thanksgiving and they're like, This is horrible. <laughs> this is wonderful. Um, well, it's very like somber and lucid. Everyone's drunk the whole time and it's sad. It's yeah, weird. it's really, it's really, really great, and uh, it it's it feels like an apology of sorts. For I know that's not really what it is, but it it feels like it for Scrooged. Oh. No, it's like uh, a much nicer. Oh, I don't think it's Scrooged. an apology. I think Bill not Murray apology, loves Christmas. This is yeah. just new Bill Murray. Oh no, Christmas. of course he loves Christmas. I just think that like it's it's a lot more palatable than Scrooged. And David <laughs> Johansson is in it from Scrooged. Yeah. Goes to Christmas um, past. Anyway, so watch that too. Dave, how about you? Uh, I'm going to go with Ragu Tomich, who said, The ghost of Christmas past and a Muppet Christmas Carol is terrifying. Terrifying. Because it's a baby. It's like a baby with long ginger hair. I prefer uh, the... uh Statler and Waldorf as the Marley brothers. I know they don't. We're Marley, Marley and, Marley. and Marley. Yes. Oh, my God. Whoa. Can we do a Muppets Christmas Carol sing-along episode? Sorry. Yes. Um, it's the best Christmas movie. And I'm not saying it's my favorite. I mean it that, too, but it's the best. It's also <laughs> on our list of flops we discussed on this week's episode. Oh, depressing. Um, yeah. Katie? Oh, oh, I don't know. I guess I'll go. I'm looking at my answer. I'm going with at Brad T. Simmons, who said, whenever Tim Curry smiles in Home Alone 2, bone chilling, (laughs) always have it flashbacks. Oh, that's really good. I feel like that's every Tim Curry movie, maybe, but he is the the vantage point, you know, when you're with Kevin down on the floor looking up at Tim Curry. I guess that is Mm -hmm. even scarier. Or when he uh, when he finds out that Kevin stole the credit card and uh, he smiles like the Grinch and the light goes on over his head. Yeah. So many evil smiles in the Home Alone series. <laughs> so many. Um, I'm going with a Juvie Cinephile, whose current uh, Twitter name is hashtag CarolMiss2015, and it has a picture of Rooney Mara and a Santa hat Woo. as his uh, Twitter icon. How is so David not Photoshopped into that picture? I don't know. Fail. Juvie Cinephile, get on that. Um, <laughs> who said, uh, George Bailey's mother not recognizing him in It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, I love It's a Wonderful Life, and the stuff where he comes back to Bedford Falls and nobody recognizes him is really sad and harrowing. Donna Reed... The spinster librarian who doesn't know him and Bert and Ernie. And, ugh. It's also currently playing in the lobby at the office, so I walk by it every day. And, you know. It's a Wonderful Life is 
on loop? Yeah, there's a video screen that like plays movies on a loop. Like it's been His Girl Friday for a while, and uh, they just switched it to It's a Wonderful Life. Oh man, you should get David to go in there and yell at everybody mm-hmm. about how it's like, about how there needs to be, to be like, like why is there a Christmas movie? You could do literally any movie. I mean, or two of been, the Hanukkah movies. It has been, you know, something like it. You can show eight crazy nights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really want to do that. Is there is Christmas prank a thing? Because I want to make that a thing and turn it into eight crazy nights, and then get fired. Maybe the ridiculous six will be a uh, Hanukkah movie in disguise. Nope. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> All right, that does it for this week's fighting in the war room. We will be back next week. Um, I guess still not talking about Star Wars because that movie still isn't coming out. Just a few more weeks. Batches, your struggles. It's hard. It's so difficult. Uh, in the meantime, everybody, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches, the entertainment editor of Thrillist, and I am on Twitter at Mr. Patches. Merry Carolmas. I am David Ehrlich. I am a uh, professional Carol fan. I'm also a staff writer at Rolling Stone. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. I'm Dave Gonzalez. I spell my first name DA7E, where you could find me on Twitter, and I write about geek stuff and Star Wars and Marvel movies. And I'm Katie Rich. I'm on Twitter as K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Um, I don't even have to plug us. That's it. Uh, find me at Vanity Fair 2, and uh, we'll be talking to you next week. Bye.